interesting psalm, isn't it? It's a bit confusing. It's not as simple as Psalm 1. That was like very, you know, very straightforward, very personal. Um, very interesting psalm. So I'm going to do my best to help us see why this psalm is, is in the psalm book and, and how it helps us pray. So I might pray as well. Lord of heaven and earth, teach us to pray. Teach us to respond to you, to relate to you, to acknowledge you well and rightly. We might live good and love good. Amen. So I reckon sometimes as Christians, we can be a bit fearful that secular people, like maybe our friends or our colleagues or just people in the culture at large, we can be a bit scared that people are going to think we're nut jobs because we're Christians, right? Like, you guys are wacky. But I've found that in Melbourne at least, but I reckon not just Melbourne even, whilst you might get a few people that think we're crazy, a lot of people are happy for us to have our beliefs as long as they're our beliefs. You know, as long as we... It's internal, it's our faith, it's, you know, it's what we believe on the inside, it's invisible. Maybe it might help us be a bit more moral, it might help us with our character. You know, um, Jess was talking to someone the other day who knew Winnie Lamb and, and she said, um, I know Winnie Lamb from church, uh, are you religious? And he said, no, no, I'm not religious. But I still believe in morals and stuff. I was like, you know, that's interesting. Like, I still believe in morals and stuff. I think the run-of-the-mill understanding of Christianity is that, and religion, is that it meets you in your morals. It, it helps you with your character. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's maybe a psychological thing. Um, your culture and tradition might play a part. But when, like, the rubber hits the road when the stuff that really matters, the facts of life, the visible stuff, the tangibles, the things you can see on the news with your eyes, the bank account, what's actually in your bank account, if you actually have a job, how your actual health is, if you have petrol in the car or a roof over your head, that's the real stuff of life. I think that's sort of the run-of-the-mill understanding, which if you think about it is weird that, that you would presume or that people might presume that what's going on inside is somehow like less real than what's happening at a, at a flesh and bones level. And I think things are changing a little bit as, as you know, mental health becomes a more significant issue and we're in the age of anxiety. Um, people are beginning to see that what's happening invisibly is just as real as what's happening visibly. But there is still, if you, if, if, if you look at, if you have a conversation, there's still a certain privilege given to what you can touch or what you can see or what's, what can be proven scientifically or, or rationally explained. You could say that in our culture, the natural trumps the supernatural, which is actually a, a minority position across cultures and across the world. Across time and across the globe, in most places and at most times, what's happening at a supernatural, spiritual level is actually the most important thing. But I want to propose that 
art versus science, if you like, is a fallacy. That the poet and the doctor both have something to offer. You know they still print newspapers? Do you know that? It's not just online that you can get news. They still print newspapers. Alan knows a thing or two about that. And in the Herald Sun, the, the lift out um, is called Body and Soul. And I want to suggest that body and soul should not just be a nice phrase for the lifestyle section of the newspaper. But body and soul is actually the level that all of life happens at. That, that politics and bushfires and wars involve bodies and souls. That we're embodied souls. That we are ensouled bodies. You know, Christianity actually rests on a historical bodily resurrection and a historical bodily incarnation that God became human. And Psalm 2 is getting at this. You know, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the introductory psalms to the the whole psalm book, the Psalter we call it. And um, the psalms, as we've been saying, help us acknowledge God, help us respond to God and help us relate to God. And so Psalms 1 and 2 really are important in setting that up. And Psalm 1 was about relating to God personally. Remember how happy is he who meditates on God's will, who doesn't you know, walk in the way of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. But Psalm 2, if Psalm 1 is about relating to God personally, Psalm 2 is about relating to God politically. If Psalm 1 is private, Psalm 2 is public. That Yahweh God is not just involved in the private parts of our life, but he's involved in in public life. He doesn't just move hearts, he moves history. He's not only the king of my heart, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is king. When Kanye West came out with that album, Jesus is King, a few months ago, you know, when he came out as a Christian, I was, I was sitting there going, is he going to make us look stupid? Is he going to say the wrong thing? Or is he going to make us look cool? Because I want a celebrity to give us credibility. But, you know, both of those things don't matter. Because Jesus is king. It doesn't matter if Kanye West makes us look stupid or makes us look good. Jesus is king. Historians all agree that Jesus lived, that he was a man. The question is, who was he? The question is, what did he do? What was his message? What was his mission? And this psalm, Psalm 2, actually gives a really interesting window into Jesus as a historical person because he actually took on some of the stuff that's, that's spoken of. Psalm 2 is a royal psalm about a king and Jesus actually claimed to be some of the things. If you, you look in the top bit, it says anointed one in part one. It talks about, it says, kiss his son You are my son. Some of the language here is the language Jesus used to explain who he was in relation to to God. So Psalm 1, Psalm 2. If you remember Psalm 1 last week, how did it open? 
How did Psalm 1 open? How happy is the man, or blessed is he. And the end of this psalm, if you look at NIV, blessed are all who take refuge in him, or the, the CSB, all who take refuge in him are happy. So there's a blessing at the start of Psalm 1 and a blessing at the end of Psalm 2. An interesting comparison as well is Psalm 1 says, Blessed is he who meditates on the law of the Lord. And the same word for meditates in Hebrew is translated here as plot. So if you look at verse 1, it says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples meditate in vain? So Psalm 1 and 2 go together and and they set up the, the whole book of Psalms, the whole Psalter. And there are four sections to the psalm. All right, psalm, psalm 2 has four sections and it would have been like liturgically performed. You would have prayed Psalm 2 in a gathering like this um, and there would have been characters. So think of, think of a, an amazing rap song with two featured rappers or like a pop song with two featured rappers. So we're thinking like, you know, let's, let's create the ultimate like feature. You know, I'm thinking... Justin Bieber featuring Cardi B and Jay-Z, right? And, and Bieber's got his beard and then Cardi B does a feature verse and Jay-Z does a feature verse, right? This has four parts. There's a narrator and then there's a feature from the priest or the prophet who, who speaks God's words. And then part three, there's a feature from the king who says what what God had said to the king and then the narrator finishes it off. So there's four parts and that's really important in understanding this psalm. The parts uh, are going to stay on the screen and I'm just going to break us, um, walk us through the four parts. So part one, the narrator says, all the world leaders, all the people, they plot in vain. Their meditations are meaningless. They rage against the Lord. They're trying to break free from God and his anointed one. They feel like God is imposing shackles and chains on them. You know, if we import the message to today, we might say everyone wants to deconstruct. Everyone wants to move on from God. Break free from that way of viewing the world. You know, the leaders, in, in, even in our day, they are all plotting and conspiring to be kings and queens, to be, to be the most powerful. They want power, they want to rise up, but it's all in vain. It amounts to nothing. So that's part one. That's what the narrator's saying or praying. And then the priest or the prophet, someone with a message from God, comes in and speaks on behalf of God and says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Ha, 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 All these rulers and kings of nations, they're trying to knock God off his pedestal, but he's not the king of a small piece of land. He's the king of heaven. You can't mess with him. He thinks it's almost funny. But he doesn't quite think it's that funny. He also is, is, is disrespected. And so in his wrath, he ridicules them and he says, you know what, the king of Zion, the king of Jerusalem, the one I have installed as king on my holy mountain, he's the true king. 
And so we see here that, that the one that God chooses to be king, the one that God bestows kingship on, is the true king of the world because he has authority from heaven. You know, all these, all these kings and leaders of nations can't compare to the king of heaven. And he gives authority to the king of Israel. And so then part three, the king of Israel speaks and we get a bit of a like, a bit of a window into David when he was the king, what God said to him. And he says, I'm going to declare what God said to me. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. I am your father. Now that's where it comes from, I guess. Star Wars. That's what God promised David, that you are my son, I am your father. That's what it means to be the king of Israel, that you're the son of God. And he says, ask me and I'll give you anything you want. I'll give you all the nations of the earth. I'll make all the, the ends of the earth your, your possession. He says, I'll, they'll be so, you'll so have possession, you'll have so much authority over everything that you'll be able to break them, dash them to pieces if you want. The, the translation in English here for that, verse 9, you will break them with a rod of iron, you will dash them, is not the best translation. The Hebrew would translate more that you may break them, you may dash them. Not that this is what you're going to do, but this is how much authority you're going to have, that if that's what you choose to do, you could. And we're going to find out that Jesus has that authority and does something very, very different with that authority. And then part four says, you know, it's the narrator. The narrator says, well, the lesson's obvious. Kings, rulers, be very wise. Be warned. Receive this as instruction. If you're a leader, know that you are not the leader of the world. You are not the supreme leader of the world. You actually have to bow before the sun. You have to kiss the sun. You're still someone's servant because there's a king of heaven. Like in Be Thou My Vision, high king of heaven. Otherwise, his wrath may flare up in a moment. Otherwise, your way will lead to destruction. Now, what this is saying is not that God is always angry, but that God does get angry. You know, there can sometimes be two ways of seeing God, that God is always angry or that God is never angry. But God is love and because he is love, he gets angry because love doesn't mess around with stuff that is not good. That love wills the good that love wills the good of another and when, when you're going against that, God gets angry. You know, it's like Muhammad Ali, right? I said this last week. If you're walking through a scary city at a scary time in a scary part of, a, of that city and you're with me, you are going to be on edge because I am not going to be able to do anything to protect you. I might even try and like talk my... If someone comes up to us, with a gun, I'd be like, hey, 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 come on, why can't we be friends? You don't want that. You want to be walking through a scary city with Muhammad Ali because you're just going to be floating like a butterfly while he is ready to sting like a bee. That's who you want to be with and that's who God is. Which is why all who take refuge in him are happy. 
Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So what this psalm says is that God is actively involved in public life, in political life, in the real world stuff that you can see, the rulers of the world, the prime ministers, the politicians, the presidents, the billionaires, your boss. God is involved in that space. He's not just involved, he's in charge. He's king. And so, so the nations at this stage, the nations of those who, who aren't following God, they need to realize that and get in line. They need to submit and follow him. And those who are followers of him, they need to know this and they need to trust him and listen and obey. So there's application for this for both people who aren't um, Israelites and people who are What's really beautiful though is that about 2,000 years ago, history says this definitely happened. A man named Jesus of Nazareth came to town. And the stuff he was saying was the stuff that's in this psalm. Look at verse 2. The anointed. The anointed. The, the Hebrew word for that is Messiah. And the Greek word for that is Christ. He claimed to be the Messiah, the Christ. Look at verse 7. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Jesus claimed to be the son of God and that he had come because he had been given authority from the Father. Jesus was this king. Jesus had authority from heaven. Jesus was the Son of God. And yet he used all the authority to heal and restore the broken and the hurting. And he did have the authority to break people with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. But he himself was broken and dashed so that he might break and dash evil. He was the king installed from heaven on the mountain on a cross. Like he was coronated as king, crown of thorns pushed into his head. His throne was the cross. The Apostle Paul says that, that when, then when Jesus was on the cross, he made a public spectacle of the rulers and authorities of the world. Like a public spectacle is no mean feat. If I'm going to make a public spectacle of you on the table tennis court, I'm going to have to invite everyone to say, stay back after church. Watch me take down Lockie on the table tennis court. Gather round. I'm going to win 100 points to zero. And I'm going to dance on the table. That would be a public spectacle, right? That's no mean feat. I don't want to do that because I wouldn't actually be, have the skill to do that. It would be weird. <laughs> Jesus made a public spectacle of the rulers and authorities, of the powers and principalities, of the evil of the age. He dashed evil to pieces, broke it by being broken. And yet he's not just the king of our hearts, he's the king of the world. He intervenes in, in real life. Which is why when he died, it didn't just affect people's hearts, 
He didn't just die so we could have him in our hearts. When he died, history says that from midday to 3pm, the sky went black. And even like in the very northern hemisphere, when you only get daylight for a few hours, the sky is not meant to be black from midday to 3pm. Like that was, that was God breaking in. It says, history says again, that when he died, a curtain in the temple just tore from top to bottom like that. The ground shook. When he died, a Roman centurion, someone who wasn't a follower of of God at all, said, surely this man was the Son of God. And then he rose again as well. This is not just spiritual. This is physical. This breaks into the real stuff of life. And so all I want to say today is that the Psalms help us not only pray so that our hearts are transformed, but that the world is transformed. That that Psalm 2 teaches us to pray that the world, that the leaders, that the kings, that the politicians, that the wars would fall at the feet of God. That Jesus is King. You know, Jess and I were praying last year that ISIS would fall. And it sort of happened. Like, answer to prayer. You know, people prayed for years that the Roman Empire would fall. People prayed that slavery would end. People prayed that apartheid would finish. People prayed that rain would come to Australia. We pray his kingdom come. You know, divine intervention happens every day. Our faith is not just heart and soul. Our faith is heart and soul and body and city and, and ruler and your boss and your health and the good of Australia and the good of the world. You know, God often works more slowly than we'd like. He often works more indirectly than we'd hope. But he has a good plan. It took years before a king who was worthy of these words came into power. And in some ways, Jesus never took this power on. He laid this power down. But he is the king. He has this authority. He really is king of kings. When we say king of kings, that means king above kings. And as citizens, as co-heirs with Christ we can listen to this psalm and we can be wise, be warned, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, bow at the feet of Christ and kiss him and take refuge in him. And you know, disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, often what we're called to do is to help cities and societies flourish. We pray for change, we stand up for justice, we offer ourselves as a small piece of the pie in, in this world and work for the good of it. Work for the good of the city, the prophet Jeremiah said. And so your piece of the pie in this city, in this society might be small, but you have a role to play. You're a contributor and a co-heir with Christ and you serve a big king who's in charge and who's at work even when we don't see it. So let's stand up.
And let's pray. And we're just going to pray. Um, and I'm going to break into groups today. We're just going to pray um, like prayers that, that hit the real world. And I've listed six options for you and you can just choose one. And if you're, if you're bold enough, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud just as we all pray. Sometimes people call it like Korean prayer when we just all pray at once. That's how the Koreans pray apparently. Um, they, they go for it in Korea. But, um, so pray for a miracle. Pray for a world leader. Pray for a country. Pray for our city. Pray like your surrender. If you need to just bow before God in surrender or if you need to pray your allegiance. Just choose one, choose two and let's all just pray out loud now to to finish our time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Amen. Grab a seat. Or don't even, just start chatting to people. Be blessed. God bless you all. In the name of the Father, Son and the Spirit, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Grace and peace be with you this week. Have a fantastic week. and. I pray that that God would would break into to the the flesh and and mortar reality of life for us this week. Amen. God bless. Have a good time. Have a good public holiday. All that.